Hi, I'm retired NYPD Detective Vic Ferrari, and welcome to NYPD Through the Looking Glass, where you'll get unique insight into the New York City Police Department. Before we get started, I encourage you to check out my Amazon author page, where you can find my series of behind-the-scenes NYPD books for $10 paperback or $2.99 ebook download. Christmas is coming. They'll be shipped to you in time for Christmas, including my new book, NYPD, Laughing in the Line of Duty. I hope everyone enjoyed yesterday's bonus special where I talked a little bit about my childhood and growing up in the Bronx for my book, Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. Today, we're gonna, I'm going to tell some uh, stories and how to protect your car. There's an entire chapter in my book, Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. And I'm going to talk about how to protect your car from car thieves and now how not to get screwed or taken when you're buying a secondhand car or used car and you don't buy a lemon or a car that's got a lot of problems with it. So car thieves steal vehicles for a variety of reasons. The number one reason is for parts. I mean, people steal them to ship them out of the country. They steal cars to change the VIN numbers for resale. We'll get to that later. But for the most part, it's parts. And if you live in a major U.S. city or anywhere in the world, if the more populated area, the more vehicles, the more accidents you're going to have. The more accidents you're going to have, there's more of a need for parts. And a lot of body shops and junkyards, if they buy the parts from the manufacturer, cost them money. But if they buy parts on the sly from thieves, cost them a lot less. So let's say for argument's sake, you get into a car accident. You take a front-end hit, and you're going to need a radiator, a hood, and a couple of fenders. You're going to call your insurance company. You're going to file a claim. Your insurance company is going to say, okay, great. Go and start getting some estimates. So you go to Body Shop A, and Body Shop A tells you, yeah, it's going to be about $3,500. Um, your deductible is $1,000, and I'll have the car back to you in two weeks. All right. Well, let me get another estimate. You go to Body Shop B, Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie tells you, yeah, um, I could have the car back to you in three days and don't worry about the deductible. Well, I'm going to go to Body Shop B, Fast Eddie. Well, what you don't know is Fast Eddie's going to make a call and he's going to call one of his guys. They're going to go out and steal a car just like yours and maybe you even tell them the color so he doesn't have to paint the parts. They'll have those parts to him the following night, the next day. He slaps them on. Hey, come by and pick up your car. Now, you don't realize you're driving around with stolen parts on your car, but that happens all the time, and it used to happen especially a lot in New York City. So in the old days, cars would get stolen, and they would go into these body shops or junkyards, and they would just disassemble them right there, you know, what you would call a chop shop. Well, in the early 90s, technology caught up with these guys because what happened was GPS systems, the LoJack device, we started getting search warrants. So these cars would get stolen. We would get a ping. We would track these devices to body shops and junkyards, and we would lock them up. Well, they didn't want that anymore. They didn't want us coming in and raid their places, but they still wanted the parts. So what a lot of these guys would do is, my chair is sinking, it's broke, so it's not like an optical illusion. I was sitting up here, and now I'm down here, but I got to get a new chair. But anyway, so nowadays, when cars are stolen, the parts just don't go directly to the junkyard or chop shop. What happens is, these thieves will steal the car, and they know they're on the clock. They'll drive it to a wooded area, right off the side of a highway or a park. 
and they'll strip it right there, take the parts off it before the owner even realized it's missing, and then files a police report, which will activate the tracking device. Sometimes you'll see, like in major U.S. cities, you'll see cars parked in the street missing its rims. It's up on blocks. They're not even taking the cars anymore. They're just taking the parts right off the car. And we had a case in the Bronx. There was this um, radiator shop slash junkyard. And we used to raid them all the time with low jack hits, and we would get search warrants and lock these people up. Well, they got tired of us running in all the time and recovering stolen vehicles in their place. So what they did was, it was actually pretty interesting, they'd, they'd hire thieves, the thieves would go out and steal cars, and then the thieves would park the car on a crowded street, usually in front of a school, believe it or not, a middle school, a high school, a grammar school, they'd park it, and then they would pay an old man in broad daylight, so you'd have a stolen car parked in front of the school, they'd have an old man come over with this little bogus tool set, not, not a lot of tools, but like a little ratchet set, and... Throughout the course of the day, the old man would have the hood open. And it looked, if you drove by, you just thought that there was this old man working on his car. But what he was doing was he was removing all the bolts from the car and putting them in a bag. And he'd sit there and he'd loosen the bolts on the doors. He'd take all the bolts off the fenders, the hood, the trunk, the deck lid, right? Then probably about 5, 6 o'clock, so after school let out and all the teachers leave, right? And most of the cars are gone surrounding it. A van would pull up. And three, four guys would jump out and just pull the sheet metal off the vehicle. So they'd start pulling the fenders, the doors, everything off it because the old man had taken all the screws off. And we were surveilling this place, and then we were watching them, and we would film them do this. But, you know, th these guys, I mean, they, they catch up with technology. They still want the parts, but th this, th th it's not going to stop them from engaging in criminal activity. So how do you protect your car from getting stolen? Well, you're going to have to think like a car thief. And I'm going to give you a little mindset into a car thief. Yeah, I know nowadays cars are high tech and these guys now have to invest, you know, into chip readers and all this stuff. But in the old days, and, and for older cars, the only real overhead being a car thief is getting caught. It's the ass whooping you're going to catch if the owner comes out and grabs you or doing a little bit of jail time. So that's really the only overhead. So what you got to do is layered protection to, to protect your vehicle. And an oldie but a goodie is the first thing I would recommend if you live in a major U.S. city or you park your car in the street and the neighborhood's not so great, go out and buy the club. Remember that thing? It was, it, it was in the 90s. It was a red metal bar. It would it'd go across the circumference of your steering wheel and it would lock. So if someone broke into your car, they couldn't drive the car because the club was there and it would make it difficult for someone to turn the wheel. Now, car thieves back in the day figured that one out, and what they would do is they would bring a, a, a hacksaw blade, and they would saw the steering wheel and, and pull it right off. But chances are nowadays kids aren't driving around with a hacksaw blade. You want to make the car as unattractive as possible to a car thief, and I don't mean painting it that god-awful Mary Kay pink. What I mean is unattractive. Put things on that car that once a thief gets into your car or even sees it up front, says, ah, you know what, this is a pain in the ass. I'm going to move on to greener pastures. So if they see the club there, and, and you've got a, a Toyota, a Honda Accord, there's a million and one of them out there. He's going to see that thing, and he's going to say, ah, do I really want to screw around spending that extra five minutes in that car storing this guy's steering wheel to take this car, or I'm going to move on to the next one? Now, another inexpensive way to protect your vehicle is getting a hidden kill switch. And 
basically what it is is it's a little toggle switch or a push button and you have it wired to either the starter or the battery and you have this switch somewhere under the dashboard or under the seat it's going to be somewhere secreted in your car only you know where it is and when you get in the car before you put the key in the ignition i'm talking about old school cars now not everybody has a key fob maybe you might be able to get away with it with a key fob i don't know but so you get in the car and then you have to engage that button to start the car because it's breaking the circuit again if a car thief breaks into your car and he starts turning the key and it's not starting he's going to figure a you got a dead battery or b there's a hidden kill switch but he's not going to take the time in the dark more more than likely when they steal cars at night to start feeling around the entire interior of your car looking for this thing oh crap i'm jumping out of the car and i'm going to look for someone else's car and if you're handy you can do this yourself you can install a hidden kill switch or most alarm places or glass places that do the window tinting or specialty shops they'll usually do it i mean i'm dating myself but back in the day it was like a hundred bucks to get it done it's the least expensive item now you might want to invest in an alarm alarms are great okay they make a lot of noise but if you live again in a heavily populated area and cars are racing by it sometimes the vibration of cars racing by will set off the alarm and piss off your neighbors but if you've got a good alarm, sometimes that'll deter them too because, again, they don't want to screw around with that thing going off and, and someone comes by and gives them a kick in the head. Another way to protect your vehicle from getting stolen is don't valet your car. I know you're going to a wedding, you're all dressed up, you don't want to walk the three extra blocks, you want to impress the lady you're with that you're a big shot and you're going to hand the guy your keys and he's going to hand it tag. Listen, don't valet park your car. Because most valets don't make a lot of money, and there are some valets that are either thieves themselves or they're spotters for car thieves. So you give the guy the keys to your car, and you're going to a wedding, right? He, what does he have? He's got the keys to your car. He's going to fish around through it. Most people leave their license and registration or insurance card in the, in the vehicle, or you're going to have a bill or a receipt or, or your medication with your address on it. So now, A, he knows where you live. And if they're savvy enough, they have the time to cut the key for your car or write down the VIN number and, and come back for your car. And in the old days with the higher-end cars like BMW or Mercedes, it used, they used to give you like the owner's manual, but it came in this like black leather binder. It was about this thick, and it had all sorts of stuff in it. But guess what? What else was in it? There used to be what's called a valet key that was secreted in there. Most people didn't even know it was there. So in the old days... The valets would rummage through the car, find that valet key, pull it right out of that binder, write down the address, and wait a month or two or weeks or whatever, and then go back and steal the person's car. So do yourself a favor. Don't valet the car. Same goes if um, you're getting your car serviced, right, and you're going to a mechanic or the dealership. First thing you do is take all your keys off it. Give him the car key or the key fob, but there's no reason for him to have your ring of keys because he knows where you live and he can copy a key and now you just gave somebody a burglary. Or also when you're, when you're bringing your car in for service or whatever, someone else has your car, take the remote control to your house and put it in your pocket, bring a bag with you. Don't leave that thing in there because they can copy the signal. Now, nowadays, a lot of the newer cars have key fobs. Now, a key fob emits a signal. And thieves have figured out how to copy that signal. And they don't have to be standing there while you're activating it. They can get, they can figure out by your house, they can drive by your house and steal the signal and then 
program it to a device to, to boost your car. A great item, and it's 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Go on Amazon and buy yourself what's called a Faraday bag or pouch. What it is is it's a little pouch about this big, and it's, it's soft, but it's lined with copper. And when you put your key fob in there and you close it, the signal is not going to the outside world, so thieves can't copy it. And another great thing with a Faraday pouch is you can put your cell phone in there at night or if you're going someplace, no one can tra- track you because it stops the signal from your phone going to cell towers. So do yourself a favor if you've got a car with a um, key fob. Spend 30 bucks on a Faraday pouch and if you're going to the gym or something and you're, and you're locking stuff up, just throw it in that pouch or even at night when you come home for the night. Put the key fob in the Faraday Faraday pouch because thieves can drive by your house, and if it's not in the garage, they can start your car. They they have signal boosters, so they'd stand outside your house with this device and boost your signal from the key fob to your car. I know it's it's James Bond-like and ingenious, but that's what these guys are doing nowadays because they're not going to stop trying to steal your car, even though technology has made it more difficult for them to do it. If you own a motorcycle, chain it to something. A lamppost, a fence, whatever. I know you're going to say to yourself, you know, I've got a brand new Honda or Harley Davidson. It weighs a thousand pounds or whatever it is. Listen, I've run cases in New York City and I've watched it. We had an informant that used to tell us these guys were going to steal motorcycles. And we'd watch guys pull up in a stolen van, minivan sometimes. They take the seats out. They'll pull right up to a motorcycle parked on the street. Three, four strong guys get out, get on either side of that thing, lift it up, and just toss it into a toss it into a van, and they're gone in seconds. So if you have a motorcycle, you're not immune from it getting stolen, even if you have like an anti-theft device on it. Chain it to something, put a lock on the wheel, whatever, because these guys, will, three, four strong guys, they'll pick that bike up and throw it in the back of a van or a pickup truck, and they're on their way. Well, now that we've covered how to protect your car from getting stolen, Now, let's talk about buying a used car. Now, first of all, Carfax has been around the last 15, 20 years now. What Carfax does is it gives you a report on your vehicle to find out where it's been, has it been in accidents, et cetera, et cetera. And Carfax is a useful tool, but it's only as good as the information that you can understand reading it. So say you're looking to buy a used car. It's a couple of years old, and you look at the Carfax report, says no accidents, but you see that the car is only two years old and it's been titled in like four different states, three, four different states, and the car is only a couple of years old. That for me would be a red flag because a lot of times what guys will do in the auto business is they'll buy a salvage car that was in a wreck, right? And what they do is it's called title washing. So they, buy, they go to an auction and they buy a wreck car. And they're going to rebuild it. But they have a salvage title. The state that the car was wrecked in, say like a state like New York. Car gets into a heavy-duty accident. It gets sold at auction. It gets issued a salvage title. And that's telling whoever's going to purchase that car, hey, time out. Your car's been, this car has been involved in a serious accident, and it's been rebuilt. So what these guys will do is they'll take that title, and they'll send it over to New Jersey. And they'll register or title that car in New Jersey under a fictitious address or a relative's address. And 
Maybe New Jersey doesn't have a salvage program. So now you're taking that salvage New York title, you're bringing it to another state, and they issue a new title, and that state doesn't have a salvage program. So guess what? You got a clean title. So if you see, a t- if you see on Carfax a, 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 a car that's been titled in multiple states, that could all, there's usually there, there's a reason for it. They're title washing it, um, cloning a lot of times. So we'll back up. No two VIN numbers can occupy the same car. So if you go on Carfax and you live in Florida and you see that the car is supposed to be in Ocala, Florida, but at the same time it's in San Diego, California, nope, chances are it's stolen. So what they'll do is, what thieves will do is, I live in Florida. I want this. I want this brand new BMW. So what I do is, I call my cousin in California. I go, go find, go find me a five series red BMW and take a picture of the VIN number. So my cousin in San Diego, California, takes a pic, goes to a shopping mall, sees this brand new BMW, takes a photo with a VIN. What I do is now I've got this VIN number, and I'm really good with computers, or I know someone that creates a VIN kit. And I'll go to somebody and they'll create a VIN kit with all the stickers and vehicle identification number. Now, here in Florida, what I'll do is I'll steal that red B, a similar red 5 Series BMW. And then I'll take those numbers and I'll mask the stolen vehicle. And then when I'm done with it, I'll sell it to somebody. So if you look at a Carfax and you see a vehicle is in the same place at the same time, walk, call the police, call your police department. If they have an auto theft squad, explain to them, say, listen, I'm looking at this car and it's, it's titled right now and we're registered in, this, in two different places. So now, so for argument's sake now, Carfax looks good. You're going to take a look at the car. I know it's going to cost you a couple of bucks. Bring a mechanic with you to look at the car, especially if you don't know anything about cars. Bring an auto mechanic with you. Have them look at the car or bring the car to a mechanic shop or have someone look at that car. If you don't have a mechanic and, the, and you're going to look at a car, and this is especially if the car is only a couple of years old, four or five years old, do your homework. While you're looking at the car, ask the person selling the car, do you mind if I look around and inspect it? Ask to pop the hood. Look under the hood. Look at the bolts that are holding the fenders on, all the bolts. Look to see if they're this A, they're the same color as the paint underneath the hood. Look to see if there's been a socket on them. And what I mean is, have the bolts look like a wrench or a socket has turned them? Are the bolts chipped or something? Because off the assembly line, those things are painted on. They, they look perfect. It shouldn't look like they were taken on and off. Also above the, um, the radiator, you have that metal shroud. Make sure, look, look around there. See if something's been smashed or hit underneath there. Also underneath the hood, does it smell like paint? Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, I don't know what auto paint smells like. And that's true. So what you do is, before you're in the market of buying a used car, stop by a body shop that's got a, um, a spray booth. Just go in there and ask a question or something. You'll, the smell will stay with you. And then when you open that hood or open the door of a car and you'll smell auto paint, uh-uh, the car's been painted. Also, if the car is four or five years old, the doors, fenders, it shouldn't be creaking when you open a door or open the hood or open the deck lid. Chances are it's been hit. If you can look underneath, look up. If you can get your head underneath there, look to see if things have been crushed or pushed around. Okay, so the car looks good. Now you're going to start looking at the paperwork. 
First of all, the paint, look at uh, most titles, most states has the, has the color of the car on the title. It should match the car. If it doesn't, it's been painted or there's some kind of chicanery going on. Walk. Make sure the mileage on the odometer is close. I mean, it's obviously it's not going to line up 100%, but it should be within a certain 1000 miles of what's on that odometer. If they're the original owner, it's never, you know, and it's never been changed. It's got 30,000 miles and it's three years old. Yeah, it, more than likely it's good. But make sure the, 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 the odometer mileage is, is kind of close to what's, what you're looking at in the car. If you're going to buy the car now, right, you're like, you know what, this is the car I want. Make sure the person selling you, this is very important, make sure the person that's selling you that car signs and dates the back of that title. Don't just have them hand you the title and say, okay, thank you, and, and you walk off with an unsigned title. There's a reason they don't want to sign that title. If you know they're telling you that's their car, ask to see their driver's license, and they're going to say, well, why do you want to see my driver's license? I, I just want to make sure I'm buying the car from the owner of this car. Make sure the last name, it, you know, even if the last name matches up, fine, but someone doesn't want to show you their driver's license while you're buying their car, and they don't want to date and sign the back of that title, chances are there's something wrong with it. And it's illegal for you to fill out the back of the put it and write in all their information and sign and date the title. There's a reason for it, and it's going to backfire, and you're going to get burned. So very important, make sure they sign the title. So now that I've given you a lot of information to think about, about how to protect your car and what to look for um, purchasing a used car, I'm going to tell you an unusual story about a, a creative car thief con person that was running a scam on people that wanted to buy a used vehicles. There's a guy in my office, he was kind of like a lone wolf, he never really had a partner. He was a nice enough guy. It's not that nobody wanted to work with him, but he kind of did his own thing. And uh, one time he was going to arrest this woman, and he asked me to come along with him for the ride. I said, yeah, no problem. And he's filling me in as we're driving to this woman's house. And it was actually a pretty ingenious scam, but like all scams, they, they, run, out of, they run out of runway after a while. So what this woman would do is, she had, oh, God, this is like 20-something years ago. She had like a Toyota Camry. And what she would do is she'd take a bunch of photos of it and she would place it for sale on Craigslist. And, you know, for a pretty decent money, right? So people would come by, they'd look at the car, they'd kick the tires, they'd negotiate a price. She'd sell them the car. And while she was selling them the car, she would chat them up. Oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah. Oh, I used to live over there. Get as much information out of these people as possible, right? She'd sign the title over to them. She'd give them the keys. She'd collect the money, and they would drive off with her car. Well, what she would do is, before she put the car for sale, she ordered a duplicate title. And then what she would do is, she'd wait a month or two. She knows where you live because she asked. She had a key for the car. She'd go back up to whoever she sold that person the car. She would steal the car, bring it back to her house, take the duplicate title, and then she would do the scam again. And she was doing, she had sold that car like two or three different times. Finally, some guy who got the Camry stolen was, you know, went online looking to see another Camry a month or two later, sees the same exact car, same exact phone number. So we called the auto crime division and this detective got involved. So we went up to her house to call the car. And oh, here's another thing. So when, when the person would report it stolen with the first title, 
She would wait, and then before she went and stole that car back, she would go to an NYPD precinct with the title. She would recover her car. She would recover the car, and then she would go to a precinct and go, yeah, I had a problem with my boyfriend, but I've got the title now. And she would sweet-talk some cop who really didn't do his homework. He'd go to the computer and cancel the alarm for her. And this worked out for her several times until this cop in my office figured it out and um, went up to her house up in the Bronx and arrested her, and she was pissed. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty funny because when we went to get her, she was like, well, what's this all about? And, like, the car you keep selling that's stolen? She just kind of made a face. She didn't say anything. She lawyered up immediately. And I'm sure probably because it happened in the Bronx, absolutely nothing happened to her. So I hope you enjoy this show. I hope it was informative. I hope um, it saves people from getting their car stolen. And uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in, especially my listeners in Pacific Palisades, California, Warren, Ohio, Princeton, New Jersey, Palm Coast, Florida. I want to thank those people for tuning in. If you work in law enforcement or have an interesting criminal background and you'd like to be a guest on the show, drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram at VicFerrari50. And if you have questions, hit me up. Oh, another thing that's important. If you listen to this podcast and you have the time, I'd appreciate it if you just go into Apple or or, uh, Spotify and, and give me a review. I appreciate it because that helps grow the podcast. People are more willing to take a chance on a podcast that's got reviews. I don't expect you to write out a whole review. Just give it a star rating, whatever you think the podcast is worth to you. And if you enjoy the content, again, please check out my Amazon author page where you'll find all my series of NYPD behind-the-scenes books. They're $10 paperback, $2.99 ebook download. And this book, um, NYPD, they all start with NYPD except for this one, but Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's auto crime division, it details my, my 10 years in the NYPD's auto crime division. It's got stories about chop shops, car thieves, scams, um, all sorts of stories. I had a I had a diplomat bring a stolen car into the United States. There's all sorts of crazy stories in there. So I encourage you if you if you're into auto theft or like stories about that, check out Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and I'll have another episode out next week. And God bless, and everybody have a safe weekend. Thank you. <laughs>